0: i got to tell you, I am super excited uh, to be up here preaching uh, with you this week. And my name is Sam Silvius. I'm the Next Gen Pastor here at Pikes Peak Christian Church. Apparently, some of you are more excited about that than I am. Um, but, uh, but I am excited to be here. I've been on staff now about five and a half months, and this is the first opportunity I've had to preach to you uh, since then. So I'm, I'm really excited. Now... Uh, if, you, if this is your first time here, you're probably wondering what we're all about. So let me clear that up for you real quick. We are really just a bunch of people who are trying to figure out who God is, what he wants, and how to bring our lives in alignment with that. That's really the basics of it. And, and we, we sum that up in our mission statement by saying, helping more people more often say yes to God. And so that's who we are and that's where we're going. And one of the ways that we do that, Um, is through the family. In fact, we are very concerned about families uh, in this church. And if you stick around uh, for any length of time, you're going to hear us talk about the color orange. I'm wearing my orange shirt this morning. Uh, Some of you are wearing orange. I'm very excited to see all the orange in the audience. I know you did that just for me, right? I got you. All right, so um, orange is this concept where the church is represented by the color red, I'm sorry, the color yellow, and the home is represented by the color red. And when those two influences come together, we have an incredible opportunity to influence not only the lives of our children and students, uh, but whole communities and whole nations. And so we believe uh, that the church and the family have to get on the same page, traveling the same road with the same strategy at the same time. And so that's what orange is all about. And you'll hear lots more about that. If you stick around uh, for any length of time now in uh, part of our attempt to strengthen families and and move families forward We've been in this series called writing a new story because a lot of families need a new story And we've been in this series for a while now and last week uh, pastor darren was here and he preached from first samuel chapter 16 And we were introduced to this character david And and we find um, David to be just this amazing man of character. He becomes this amazing king in Israel. And and today we're going to kind of pick up on that story. Before we do, um, if you want to follow along, we're going to be in 1 Samuel 17. You can turn there in your Bibles. We will have the text up on the screen for you. We're not going to read the whole chapter. We don't have time for that this morning. Uh, But if you need a Bible to follow along, we have some in this black cabinet straight back here. Feel free to just get up and get one. Grab it if you need to borrow it this morning. You just forgot yours or whatever, that's totally fine. Uh, And if you don't have one at home, uh, let that be our gift to you this morning. We want you to have a copy of the scriptures at home so you can read it whenever uh, God calls you to look at it. Now, Samuel had this, um, uh, I'm sorry, David had this experience, uh, this incredible experience. So Saul is king, and he's not doing a very good job. And so God says, you know what, it's time for Saul to go. And so he sends Samuel the prophet out to Jesse's house. Jesse lives in Bethlehem. And so Samuel goes out to Bethlehem and he, he's gonna do this um, ceremony. He's gonna do this sacrifice ceremony with Jesse and his sons. And he says, hey, Jesse, bring your boys out. And so Jesse brings his uh, seven of his eight sons to the ceremony and Samuel comes and he looks at the oldest son and says, surely... Surely this is the guy that God has chosen to be the next king. Looking at Eliab, the oldest of Jesse's sons. But God says, do not be deceived by his outward appearance. God looks at the heart. And so Samuel the prophet goes through all of Jesse's sons and looks at each one of them and comes to the seventh son. And still none of these are the ones that God has chosen. And so he asks Jesse, hey, you got any more sons? Because we're kind of out here and, uh, and Jesse goes, well, there's one more, but I didn't, I didn't think it was worth calling him in from the field for this, you know. And so he says, well, you better call him in. And here comes David, the youngest of eight brothers, the one who his dad didn't think it was worth inviting him in the first place. And God says, this is it. Because God looks at the heart and and what is invisible is invaluable. And that's what we learned last week looking at David, that his character was invaluable. And that's why God had chosen him to be the next king of Israel. Now I got to thinking about this. This had to be a pretty huge moment in David's life. I mean, one minute he's out watching the sheep. He gets called in, has probably no idea why but comes running in, gets to the ceremony at the last minute, and here's Samuel, the, the prophet for a whole, uh, all of Israel. Samuel's there, and he goes, David, I have some good news. You're going to be king. This is crazy, right? This is a huge moment. And, and I was thinking about my own life, and I had a moment similar to this uh, when I graduated from college. Now, this is graduation Sunday, Uh, we're celebrating all of our graduates this weekend. A lot of our high schoolers are graduating this week and next week. We're really excited uh, to celebrate that moment with them. But I know it's not just high schoolers. In fact, sometimes high school graduation is really nothing compared to a college graduation or graduating from that nursing program. So would you do me a favor? If you are graduating from something in this season, a nursing program, a bachelor's degree, a master's degree, PhD, would you just stand right where you're at? If you've graduated from something recently in this season, could you just stand up right where you're at? Do we have some in this service? We want to we celebrate with you. Absolutely. As your church family, we know this is a huge accomplishment. It took a lot of work and dedication, and we want to celebrate with you. Now, I had an ulterior motive for that as well. See, this sermon is largely geared towards you, and now I know exactly who to look at. So, Be ready. Now that doesn't mean that the rest of you can go to sleep. There's still lots of good stuff in here for all of you, but it is geared towards you who are graduating because I think you'll find that some of the things that David experienced, you will experience as well. At least I know I did. When I graduated two years ago, it was actually the fourth um, time I'd gone to college. That's a little embarrassing, but the fourth time I'd gone to college I went once right out of high school uh, to a community college, hated every second of it. And so uh, after one semester, I quit that and, and joined the military. And I was in the military for several years. And, and while I was there, uh, there was one program that I thought would be just awesome um, and so I signed up for that program, and I was taking those classes at nights uh, during the week, and I was going to be a paramedic because I thought, man, I get to save people's lives, and it's exciting. This is going to be a great career for me when I get out of the military. This is going to be awesome. And it was going really well um, until about halfway through when I realized that when I see blood, I get lightheaded. And it was at that moment I knew that wasn't going to work for me. So I, I quit that program, and a few years later, I thought, well... Computers, there's no blood in computers, so maybe that would be a good route. Lots of money there, lots of good stuff, and, and I really want to make these stupid machines do what I want them to do. <laughs> so, so I decided I was going to go into programming, and so I started studying this, and I, I got a couple of years into the program, and I, I started doing my first uh, few lines of code, writing my first software, and realized that I do not have the patience for that job. Because there are millions of lines of code. And if you've got one little punctuation wrong, one character wrong in there, the program will not do what you want it to do. Like it's harder to make computers do what you want them to than it is to get your kids to obey. Okay, it's tough. And so I, I, uh, that wasn't gonna work. And so frustrated, I went back to work and, and finally God laid an anointing, a calling on my life. And I knew that he was calling me into ministry full time And so I went back to school for the last time. Well, eventually I'll go to seminary, but I went back to college uh, for what I thought would be the last time and uh, pursued a degree through Colorado Christian University, and it was different. This time, going to school was different because I loved every minute of every class. I loved doing my homework. Now, you have to understand, I'm not the kind of person who does homework because It's there. Like, I know some of you are like, I have to do this and I have to get an A because somebody assigned it to me. It doesn't matter what it is. You just have to. I'm not like that at all. So, but I get in this program and and I'm loving it and I'm loving it because it's stuff, it it was made for me. And I knew that I was created to do this job and created to do this stuff. And I was learning about it and I loved it and I knew I'd come into my anointing. And so I thought, well, surely this is where God's taking me. And as soon as I graduate, I'm going to get into a great job and I'm going to love it. So I graduated in 2012, and I thought a week later, God, why don't I have a job yet? This is crazy. But a week went by, and another week, and another week, and then a month, and then two months, and four months, and six months, months, and months, and months went by, still no job, still in the same job, still writing the same dumb reports that I had to write before, still doing all that. The door hadn't opened, and, and and then one day, um, one Sunday morning actually, during this time, I, I remember very clearly, I was sitting right over here, actually, it's, it's kind of funny now, Darren's in my seat. Um, and so we've kind of switched places this week, that's, that's hilarious, it's okay, I'm not using it this week, Pastor. So, I was sitting right there though, and, and Darren was up here, and he, he said to, to all of us, but really directly to me, I don't remember anything else from that sermon, but I remember this, he said, be faithful and wait for God to open the doors Amen. be faithful and wait for God to open the doors and so what I learned in that moment is that I I just needed to keep doing what I was doing serving with our high school being faithful where he would called me and just wait for God and I did that and what happens you know hindsight is a wonderful thing and looking back I realized that the reason I had to wait is because God had anointed me for the position but I wasn't ready for it yet and so there were some things that needed to happen. There was a character development issue that needed to be worked on in my life during that time. See, and one day I was writing one of those dumb reports that I hated so much. And God said to me, is this enough? If this is all there is, if this is the best job you ever have, is this enough? Your relationship with me, is it sufficient for you? And I had to wrestle with that. God, is it enough? Is Are you enough? And God had to make sure that I was in a place where he was enough no matter what, where I wasn't relying on a job or a position or a status, but that God was enough. And so he had to to work on that with me. Now, there's a really neat thing that happened um, during that 15 months or so from the time I graduated to the time I came on staff here. In those 15 months, I got to preach seven times. Seven different times I got to preach. A few times here at this church, a few times over at Harley-Imes Church, uh, over Central um, in um, Old Colorado City, and then once up in Denver. And and there's seven times. I wasn't even a pastor yet, and I got to preach seven times in this year because I was in the waiting zone. I was being faithful. Now, I got to tell you, what I realized is I've been here five and a half months, and this is the first time I've preached in five and a half months, And what God knew that I didn't know is that once I came on staff, I would not have time to preach. Because I got a ton of stuff to do with these kids and with these students and with their parents and all of this stuff that we've got to get done over in NextGen to get these kids where they need to be on fire for God, right? I don't have time to come and preach to you guys. I love doing it. God wanted me to have those experiences before he put me in a position where I was unable to accept them. And so sometimes, God has things that he needs to do, so we just need to be faithful and wait for him to open the doors. And so I did just that. I was being faithful and waiting for God. And one day, the door opened. And it opened in my home church, in the church that I love, in the position that I knew I was made for, the job that I, I could only dream about having and the door opened, and I knew that was exactly where I needed to go. And David has this similar experience. David's been anointed, and he's, he's faithfully doing these jobs. And if you read in the second part of 1 Samuel 16, we don't have time to get into it today, you'll find out that, that David actually got a second job. Um, Saul had this weird thing going on, and he needed a harpist, and David played the harp. And so they said, Hey, David's a really good harpist. Why don't you bring him in? And so, David somehow becomes Saul's personal harpist, so he's doing that part-time, and then the rest of the time he's going back to his dad's farm and taking care of the sheep, right? So he's going back and forth with these two jobs, being faithful in them, but still neither one of them are in his calling or his anointing, right? Because I don't, I don't know how you get from harpist to king. It doesn't work in my mind, but so that's what David's doing, right? He's just being faithful, and so one day he goes back to take care of the sheep and his, his father Jesse's there and he says, hey hey, David, I need you to do something for me. And David couldn't have known in that moment that that would be the door that, that opened that would launch him into this anointing. And so here's, here's what's going on. Here's what you need to know. Okay, um, at this time, the Philistine army and the Israelite army, they've lined up for battle and they've come to these two ridge lines, and there's a valley in between them. So they're on these hills and there's a big valley in between them and they're getting ready to do battle and so they, they come out every day and they line up to fight against each other. But the Philistines have decided to engage in something called representative warfare. And this wasn't terribly uncommon in that day because if you got injured in a fight, there's a good chance you were going to die. Not a lot of medicine. So a good infection would take you out. And so instead of sending everybody down there to die, the Philistines said, Hey, we're going to send out one guy, a champion, and he's going to represent our whole army. If he wins, you guys just surrender. And if you win, we'll just surrender, right? Representative warfare. That's what they're doing. So the Philistines choose this guy, Goliath. Now, you've probably heard of Goliath before. This is one of the most famous stories in all of Scripture. And so Goliath comes out to represent the Philistine army. Now, I don't know what you've heard about Goliath, um, there are differing uh, opinions about exactly how big this guy was. Some scholars are saying that he was nine feet, nine inches, um, based on the text. And others are saying, no, 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 it was closer to six feet, nine inches. Um, either way, this is a big dude. And when the average height uh, is around five four in this time period, this guy is still a good foot, uh, foot and a half, bigger than anybody else on the field. And so it doesn't really matter if he's bigger by a foot and a half or three and a half feet. The biggest bully is the biggest bully, right? And so Goliath comes out and he's got huge weapons and huge armor. And he is, um, by all accounts, the biggest guy on the field. And here's what he says uh, to the Israelites in verse 8. He comes out taunting them, saying, why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? Are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he's able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistines said, this day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. And on hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. So I don't care how big this guy is. He's freaking the Israelites out, right? They they want nothing to do with him. And so this goes on day after day. For 40 days. For 40 days, he comes out and taunts them. For 40 days, he comes out and begs them to come fight him. And they're, they're scared. They won't do it. Enter David. David's watching the sheep. Dad says to him, hey, your brothers have gone to fight with Saul, your three oldest brothers. I'm worried about them. I need you to go check on them. Take this bread to your brothers. Take this cheese to their commanding officer and check on them. bring back some sign that they're okay. I need to know that they're okay. So David loads up his cart the next morning, heads off to the battle lines, drops off the stuff with the supply guy and goes out to find his brothers. Just being faithful, doing what his dad asked him to. Finds the brothers just as Goliath is coming out to make his daily taunt. So he's standing there next to his brothers, and here comes Goliath. And now, we don't know exactly how old David is at this moment. But a good guess is between 15 and 20. Uh, that's, that's a pretty good guess, between 15 and, and 20 years old. And I don't know if you know many 15 to 20-year-olds. I know a few in NextGen. And they have something in common. Once they're convinced that they can do something, there is no talking them out of it. They, they, they tend to be fairly overconfident at some things. And I imagine David is, is no different. He goes out and he hears this Philistine making threats and goes, what does this guy think he is? Somebody give me a sword. I'm about to go down there. This is ridiculous. This guy talking like this. Why don't somebody take this guy out, right? So you could just imagine David's getting all fired up and he's talking all this stuff uh, to the people around him. And so he starts asking the men around him, hey, what's the king gonna do for the guy who takes this guy out? Because I'm about to go down there. I wanna know what my reward's gonna be. So he starts asking them, and they tell him, he said, well, Saul has promised uh, one of his daughters in marriage uh, to the person who kills this Philistine. But even better, to sweeten the pot, he said that the guy who kills this Philistine, his family is not going to have to pay taxes for the rest of their lives. That's a pretty good deal. So now David's even more fired up, I'm sure. So he's he's like, hey, man, I'm going to go take this guy out. And so David's convinced that he's going to go do this. And who enters the scene? The same guy who always enters the scene when you're convinced you can do something. The exact same guy. The accuser. The accuser shows up. And he shows up in David's brother, Iliab. You know, you'd think that Iliab, being an older brother, I'm an older brother, I have have two younger brothers, and and I like to think that if I was in Iliab's position, and my younger brother was talking all this stuff about going after Goliath, uh, that I would pull him aside gently and go, hey, brother, I love you, man. I love your heart, love your passion. It's awesome. I'm not sure this is a good idea, right? That's that's a good way to handle that as an older brother. That's not what Iliab does. What Eliab does in verse 28, it says, when Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him and asked, why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. David's ready to go. And his brother steps in and starts accusing him. And he doesn't even accuse his ability. He's accusing him of being wicked, of being evil, of being um, immoral right? And he starts talking about the sheep. Like he's worried about these sheep that are, all, I mean, he's here fighting the war. Is Iliab really concerned about the sheep? No, he's just trying to put David in his place as the accuser. And some of you know exactly how David must have felt in that moment because you've been there. You've walked up to that line and said, I'm going to do this. And the accuser has come to you, right? He comes at you with words like this. You're not good enough to do that. Or, or, or maybe this, maybe this. You are so ugly, how could anybody ever love you? The accuser comes at you with these lies, right? Moms, and if you're a mom of special needs parents, I know you've heard this one. I know all moms have, but moms of special needs parents, you hear this on a daily basis, I know you do. If you were a better mom, right? Oh, or guys, how about this one? You can't even take care of yourself. What makes you think you can lead this family? The accuser comes at us with these lies, and his goal is to stop us where we're at, to stop us before the story even starts. And he comes at us with this junk, and it's hard to hear, and it hurts, especially when it comes from those closest to us. But there's something we can do. We can do the same thing that David did. So let's look at what that is. In verse 29, here's how David responds. He says, now what have I done? Can't I even speak? And then he turned away to someone else and brought up the same matter. And the men answered him as before. And what David said was overheard and reported to Saul. And Saul sent for him. See, when the accuser comes, you've got to turn away. you you just got to walk away. Don't give him that foothold. Don't give him the opportunity to speak that junk into your life. Just walk away. Turn away. Find godly counsel. Find men who will speak truth into your life. Find moms that will come alongside you. Find those people that will build you up. David turns away and talks the same game to somebody else. These guys believe him, report it to Saul, and now David's going to see Saul so he can fight Goliath. Because he turned away from the accuser. So when the accuser comes, turn away. Now, I hope you can see this picture, because we've got this 15-year-old kid, overconfident, headed to the king's tent there near the battle, and he walks in, probably with a little bit of a strut, I imagine. It's been 40 days, nobody's volunteered to take this guy on, and David's the first guy. So, so David walks in, he walks into the king's presence, and here's what he says in uh, verse 32, here's what he says in verse 32, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine, your servant will go and fight him. Now, don't miss this picture, right? 15 year old kid walks up to the king and says, hey, Saul, man, I know I know, this guy's freaking you out, but, but listen here, man, I got this, right, right? And Saul, Saul's not convinced right away. He, he's a little concerned about David and, and Saul approaches it in a different way because he's, he's concerned for David's safety. Maybe he really liked him as a harpist, I don't know. But, but Saul's concerned for David. And so Saul says to David this in, in verse 33. He says, you are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You are just a young man. He's been a warrior from his youth. And so David finds this second obstacle. Saul is questioning his ability. He's a questioning his age and his experience. He said, hey, you know what? I, I, he's the guy that comes alongside and says, hey, I love your heart not sure this is a good idea. I'm, I'm worried about you. I, I'm not sure you're going to survive this. Now, I, I had a similar experience uh, to David in, in this when I was um, actually applying for this job. And there were some people, and rightly so, that weren't sure that I could do this job. And what I had to, to come to the realization was I could take that one of two ways. I could either get angry and storm off and go, hey, you know what? You guys want to give me a job? Fine, I'm just going to go start another church. Right? A lot of young guys do that. A lot of young guys do that. And to be honest, the thought went through my head. It's not there anymore. Don't worry about it. But the thought went through my head. The thought went through my head. You guys want to give me a job? Fine. But I realized that they were concerned about me, that they were worried that I was going to fail and they didn't want that for me. And so I did what David did and what David does is he points Saul to what God has already done. He points Saul to what God has already done. In um, in verse 34, we pick up and this says, David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it. I struck it and rescued it from the mouth, the sheep from its mouth. And when it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. And with that, Saul says to David, go and the Lord be with you. Now don't miss this, right? David approaches this humbly. He he, he says to Saul, your servant has done this. But more than that, he says, God has done this through me. He doesn't say, hey, look how awesome I am. Look how great I am. Look at the wonderful things I've done. He says, look at what God has already done in my life. Look at the fruit that God has already produced in me. He started this thing. He's going to continue, it. he's going to keep doing what he's already done. And so that's what he tells Saul. So a good question for us to ask is, what has God done in your life? What's the fruit that he has produced And when those people question your ability, you can then point them to what God's already done. When they question whether or not you can do this, you point them to what God's already done in your life and rely on that. And that's what David does, and that's what I did, and it worked out pretty well for both of us. So, Saul's now convinced. He's a believer. He's pretty sure David can do this. But he looks at David and says, you know, I like your little shepherd outfit. That's cute. But Goliath has got armor and a sword and a javelin and helmet. And I'm not certain that you can do it in that. So here's what I'm going to need you to do. This is Saul talking to David. He says, I'm gonna need you to go ahead and put on my helmet and my armor and take my sword uh, so that you have what you need, so that you have the right tools for this battle. And so David tries these things on and he tries to move and he can't. He he just, he simply is not comfortable in them. He, He says he's not used to them. And this will happen to you as well when you go to take on something great and you finally convince them that you can do this. They'll come to you and say, that's awesome. We're so glad that you're here. Now do it this way right? That's what happens. They say, hey, this is the way that you need to do this. Now, sometimes that's good advice, but sometimes you've got to use the gifts that God's given you. You can't rely on the gifts that God's given somebody else because God wants to tell his story through you. God wanted to tell his story through David, not through Saul. If you wanted to tell it through Saul, he would have had Saul arm up and go out and take this guy on. But he wants to tell the story through David. So David has to use the gifts that David's been given, his unique gifts. And we have to do the same thing. Use the unique gifts that God has given to us. The gifts that he's given us specifically. So David says, hey, thanks, Saul, but um, this stuff's not going to work. Um, it's just, uh, I appreciate the offer, but I, I gotta do this my way. I gotta do this the way that God has called me to do this. And so David heads out with his sling. Now, David's sling is not like your sling, I promise. Because if you have a sling at home, it's probably one of these numbers, right? It's got a little Y shape, a little rubber band across here, and you're doing this, right? Like, this is, this is what we think of when we think of a sling, right? But this isn't the sling that David's got. David has a, a piece of advanced arterial weaponry. And it's this leather pouch that he puts a rock in and flings it around really, really, really fast and then lets it fly. And this is a professional weapon. These guys are in, they're, they're assigned to Saul's army. There's a battalion of slingers up on the hill ready to start taking out soldiers. Like this is a real thing. And so David takes his sling, this, this piece of leather, and he goes and picks out five stones and he goes to approach Goliath. He's got one more obstacle to face in taking care of this problem. And what I wanna do is really just read the text uh, from here to the end of the story. We're gonna pick up in verse 42 because it's incredibly powerful. It's the best part of the story. In verse 40, 42, it says, Goliath looked David over and saw that he was little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome, and he despised him. And he said to David, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. David's not frightened. He's not taken back. In verse 45, David responds. David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin. But I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I will give the carcasses of not only Goliath, but the entire Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals. And the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. And all those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's. And he will give all of you into our hands." As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. And reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. And the stone sank into his forehead and he fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. David takes down the giant. David is successful not because he has better weapons. That may have contributed to it, but it's, that's not why he's successful. David is successful not because he's the better warrior, because clearly in a sword fight, Goliath has the advantage. He's got the reach, he's got the equipment, he's got the armor, he's the big guy, he's the clear favorite in this fight. David doesn't win because he's the best warrior. David doesn't win for any reason other than this. David knows whose story it really is. David knows whose story it really is. And he says to Goliath, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. He, he doesn't say, and the whole world will know that I'm awesome. And the whole world will know that God has anointed me. He says, the whole world will know that there is a God. David knows that this is not his story, that it's God's story. So there's something I want you to remember. God's story through me is greater than my story will ever be. God's story through me is greater than my story will ever be. And we see this in David's life all the way through. David is patient. He can be patient because it's not his story. It's God's story. David can turn away from the accusers. He doesn't have to defend himself because it's not his story. It's God's story. He can show Saul the accomplishments that God has done because it's not David's story. It's God's story. He can go out with a sling and take down a giant because it's not his story. It's God's story. God wants to tell a story through you too. He wants to tell an amazing story through you. He wants to show the world who he is, how much he loves them through you. He wants to tell his story through you. And some of you know this. Some of you are experiencing this. Some of you have, have gone through this moment, and you have been set free from addiction. You've been set free from oppression by God, and that is his story. And you know the freedom that comes from it, from giving up your story. We, we saw a couple of guys get baptized this morning. We baptize people and we say, buried with Christ and raised to new life. It's in that new life that we give up our own story and we say, no longer is it my story. It's God's story through me. He wants to give you an amazing story, but it has to be his story. So this week, I'm challenging you. Embrace the story that God's called you to. I don't know what story that is. Some of you, that story is tough. There are some amazing stories in this church. Some of my friends have an amazing story. It's not their story. They lost their son at 13 months old, and they stood on this stage just days after and said, we praise God, we have unbelievable joy, even though we just lost our son, who is only 13 months old, because it's not our story. It's God's story. There are people in this church who have gone to great lengths to adopt kids that nobody else wanted when they thought they were done having kids because it's not their story. It's God's story. There are people right now who are wrestling, maybe literally, with some children across that foyer to help them see that God loves them because it's not their story. It's God's story. God wants to tell an amazing story through you. He wants to give you an amazing peace and an amazing joy so that you can share his story of love and redemption with the world. The greatest story ever told is that a man named Jesus came to this earth, lived a sinless life, gave his life up, died on a cross for your sins so that you could come into this story for all eternity. And that's the story that God wants to tell through you for the rest of your life. So embrace the story that God is calling you to. And I promise you, God's story through you will be greater than your story could ever be. We're not gonna gonna have a response time this morning, but we are gonna do this. We're gonna stand together. Would you stand with me right now? Now, we're not gonna have a response time, but I'll be hanging out around. There'll be some other pastors, some other staff members. If you need help embracing the story that God's calling you to, if you need help taking that next step, we'll be here. We'd love to talk with you about that. We'd love to pray with you about that. But remember, as you go this week, embrace the story that God's calling you to. I'm going to pray for you, and then we'll be dismissed. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you have called us into the greatest story ever told. And that you want to tell that story through our humble, meager lives. So Father, I pray this morning that you would make it clear the story that you're trying to tell through each life here. I pray that you would make it clear the story that you want them to reveal to those around them. I pray you'd give them the courage and the boldness to embrace that story and to live it out as they go this week and for the rest of their lives. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you guys so much. Have a great week.